Hello, my name is Omar Abosh, and I'm the president of Industry Solutions at Microsoft. And I am Will I Am, entrepreneur, philanthropist, musician, and producer, and my mother's son, and this is Changemakers. There are a lot of people around the world driving change that impacts society. In this series, we'll share stories of transformation directly from the leaders themselves who made the change. We'll talk about their obstacles, their triumphs, their learnings, and how technology has accelerated their mission. So, Will, we're back again. We're talking about electric vehicles today. And I know you've driven them for a few years. What do you think about their evolution so far? I'm a fan of electric vehicles. I'm a car guy, so I love cars. I like concept cars, prototype cars, cars that are on the streets, power cars, F1 cars. I love cars. I love them, love them, love them. I like the art of them, the design of them, and the new technologies that are pushing cars to be things that we never thought cars could do. And that's self-driving, autonomous, fully autonomous cars. Do, do you drive an electric vehicle? You know, Will, it's so embarrassing because, like, actually the question you should be asking is, do you drive a vehicle? Um, because a few years ago, like, the London traffic wardens convinced me that, like, owning my own vehicle was too painful. So, yes, I do drive uh, electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, but I typically am renting them. Uh, and like you, I love where the, the future of this industry is headed, like electrification, autonomy, the whole thing. It's incredible. And there is no doubt that the auto industry is undergoing, arguably, its most drastic change ever. And we can thank electric vehicles for that. The demand for electric vehicles is so high that popular models are already sold out, leaving manufacturers with one or two year waiting lists. And this is a trend that experts think is going to accelerate. Around 6.75 million electric vehicles were sold around the globe in 2021, and that number is expected to jump to 9.5 million this year. And leaders like Ola Kalinius, the CEO of Mercedes-Benz Group, must find timely solutions in this fast-moving industry. Ola joins us to talk about the future of electric cars, autonomous vehicles, and more, and how Mercedes is leading the charge. Welcome to Changemakers, Ola. Thank you. Hello, Omar. Hello, Will. Good to see you guys. Good to see you too, Ola. Before I met you, I was a fan of and an owner of the products that you lead. And before I had one, I dreamt of having one. And everyone that has one probably feels the same way I feel about the products that you guys make. So it's great to have you here. I salute your bravery on what you're doing with the company and taking it to brand new directions. So thank you for joining Changemakers because you're definitely one of the changemakers on the planet. I mean, I think Will um, represents it well, that when it comes to vehicles, uh, it's super personal for people. Would you describe yourself as a car guy? I'm, I'm kind of scared to say petrol head uh, nowadays. Um, but you know, what, how, how would you find describing the most exciting thing about leading Mercedes now during this enormous shift in the auto industry? Yes, I am a car guy. And I guess... Maybe switching that from a petrol head to an electric head in the meantime. <laughs> I've spent my entire career at Mercedes, so it's almost 30 years at the company. So how, how can you not be a car guy uh, if you're working for a brand like that? What's so exciting right now is that 
as uh, most of you know, the auto industry is going through a fundamental transformation towards uh, zero emission, uh, the autonomous vehicles, uh, everything that's going on there. So in a way, it's like reinventing the original invention from our founding fathers. They invented the car 136 years ago, and here we are. And now we, we have the privilege of reinventing that original invention. So it's very exciting to be in the auto industry right now. That is indeed super cool. And you know we can see that you've um, stepped out and said that Mercedes will invest 40 billion euros, $47 billion, by 2030 to become an electric-only manufacturer of vehicles. What do you feel it really will take to reach that goal? What are the obstacles that you see in your way? I believe in this decade, we will see the tipping point towards electric cars. So uh, move from being dominant uh, combustion-based to being dominant electric. And that's why we are investing, uh, indeed, uh, an enormous amount of money to put the company in a position that by the end of this decade, we can go all electric in markets where that are ready. Uh, what will it take? If you are an incumbent, you have to, in a way, uh, rebuild part of your industrial infrastructure. So everything that has been combustion-based uh, eventually is going to be all electric. So we're investing in technology. It's, of course, a Herculean task for the R&D team, but at the same time for the production team and a, and a mindset shift for the whole company. It's a 360-degree effort where you have to look all the way down to raw materials. You know, where's the lithium? Where's the nickel going to come from? It's, multi, it's a multifaceted challenge, uh, but uh, exciting nevertheless. Yeah, batteries are a crucial piece to the success of this transition. But the supply chain delays have a negative impact on production. Do you have a long-term plan to address battery production? Yes, we're ramping up fast. We're, in fact, uh, in the process of, of building gigafactories around the world. So our production footprint is Europe, United States, and China uh, primarily. So in all those three economic regions, with our supply partners, we're in the process of building up gigafactories. Some of them are already up and running, but more is to come. If we want to go all in on electric, uh, by 2030, we should have some somewhere north of 200 gigawatt hours. Uh, so that's uh, a lot of investment, but we are fairly optimistic that we can get that done. One thing that we do have to watch, though, is availability of raw materials, especially on the lithium and nickel side, but not only those two. Hmm. How are improvements in technology improving the life and quality of batteries? Like, what does the next generations of batteries look like? Uh, already in the last few years, we have seen some rapid development here in primarily energy density. This is what happens when billions of dollars of investment meets uh, uh, intelligence. Everybody is going in, uh, and the uh, dynamism in terms of the technical evolution is, 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 very, is very vivid. Right now, we're using uh, what people call lithium-ion batteries with uh, different types of chemistries, but we're already looking at what's next. And uh, two of the things that we are looking at, and many others as well, is on the one hand to see if we can gain energy density by uh, switching to an even silicon richer or all silicon anode. And what's considered a bit of a holy grail is what is referred to as solid state batteries. So 
batteries where you can take the electrolyte out, you can maybe gain significantly higher energy density. If you do that, uh, you get better range, obviously, or you can make lighter batteries because one of the challenges of an electric car is that uh, these batteries are quite heavy. They can be six, six, seven hundred kilograms just of a, a battery in a in a car. So to get the weight down uh, through increasing energy density is going to be one of the things. And and then of course fast charging and also longevity. So you have several dimensions that you're tackling. Um, and I think that uh, on the way to 2030, we will see at least uh, two or three iterations of these technologies come into the market, uh, which is going to make electric cars better, even better. Amazing. Okay, so I'm shifting gears because that stuff was in Mercedes's control. But on the other side, uh, in the US, for example, there are fewer than 50,000 public charging stations, which is not really nearly enough. So how do you think about balancing battery range and battery range concerns in a world where charging networks don't seem to be keeping up pace with the demand for electric vehicles themselves? The buildup of charging infrastructure is going to be one of the main deciding factors for how quickly electric adoption will happen. And if we look at the charging landscape, there are really three places where customers charge at home, especially Mercedes customers. Here we have a specific clientele, which is maybe more likely to have access to a wall box in their driveway or in their garage. So charging at home, you kind of live at the, you live at the gas station in a way. Uh, mm. that's, that's more or less 70% or even more than, than, than the charging events. Then many people charge at work. Uh, if you work for a progressive company like Mercedes, uh, they might offer charging for you. Maybe you live downtown, you're in a, an apartment, you don't have access to charging at home, but during eight hours during the day, you can charge at work. And then the third thing, and this is what everybody's talking about, that is uh, public charging. So fast charging along the highways and, and in other places. This needs a significant, significant lift up. Uh, originally, when we started with electric cars, we thought about this like, okay, we make cars, uh, we don't do infrastructure. Today, we make cars, we don't build the gas stations, right? But in the electric era now, in the beginning, we have to think a little bit different. So we have joined in Europe to start with a consortium called Ionity, where we're building a fast charging network along the whole highway network across Europe. And we're looking at more, we're looking at the United States, we're looking at China and other places. So I think in this, in this transformation age, to avoid the chicken or egg situation, we have to do more than just build the car. But we're not alone. Many players are jumping in, the big energy companies and many others as well. So I think 10 years from now, it will be a very, very different uh, picture than what we see now uh, with a little bit too few charging stations still. So, so as you know, Ola, Tesla sort of came into the market with this whole focus on software and consumer experience. And so when you sit there now, after a few years in, and you've been driving a giant transformation of Mercedes, and you think about all the OEMs, all the original equipment makers in the industry, and who's going to succeed in this transition to electrification and autonomy, and who isn't, what do you think it'll take? Like who, you know, from the traditional pack, Will still be standing in the next 10, 20, 30 years? Every time an industry goes through a fundamental transformation, or I would call it disruption, usually new players look at that industry and go, I can do that, or I can do what's next. 
Uh, and this is what the auto industry is experiencing as well. So just because you have a hundred year plus of uh, you know pedigree, great tradition, engineering excellence, there's no guarantee that you're going to be a winner 10 years from now if you don't accept change. So I think what the challengers do, first and foremost, they cause a mind, the mindset change with the incumbents, or at least with the ones that want to stay in the business. If you think that you can sit back and just wait, I don't think that's going to work. But I wouldn't underestimate the usual competitors either. So if we would only concentrate on the, on the new kids on the block, we would make a mistake. Because some of those uh, incumbents are also investing like we're doing and are formidable, formidable competitors. So we, we, we tend to watch both. And having said that, if you just try to run after somebody else's strategy, you're going nowhere. You got to know who you are, what your brand DNA is, what your brand promises, and you have to try to deliver that. Stay true to your own core while at the same time, keep an open mind and never be complacent. I think that's that's the mindset that we have to have if we want to be in a leading position 10 years from now. Brilliant. Brilliant. And, and Ola, sustainability is a giant topic. We cannot make transportation sustainable without pervasive electric, electrification of, of vehicles. So if you had to say like three things that the world must do to dramatically increase the penetration rate of electric vehicles, what would be the big things from your perspective? It's interesting that you say three things because it really needs to be three things. The obvious one, the product, will take care of that. And from a 360 degree point of view, so supply chain, our own production, the product itself, the product in use. So we're not just thinking about building an electric car. You got to look at what, how are you sourcing, you know, how are you producing it, everything. But the other two things that we need for this uh, systemic shift to happen is infrastructure, charging infrastructure. We talked about it before. We need it everywhere. And then the last piece, and it's the most important piece, we're really talking about the energy transition. We're going away from fossil fuels as the energy source to other energy sources. So it doesn't make any sense to burn fossil fuel uh, uh, and create electricity to then drive an electric car. I mean, what's the sense in that? Ecologically, it's, it's uh, not the way to go. So the energy transition away from fossil in the next decades uh, will be the third element and the most important element. Thanks. You said that to um, make this electrification uh, in the transportation sector really take off, we need three things. The product, the charging infrastructure, and then the energy transition itself. From your vantage point as a CEO of a giant multinational, what do you think are the incentives that we need to create in our markets to really make those three things happen at pace? Well, anybody who read the latest uh, uh, climate report through the International Panel of Experts, I think that's incentive enough. Uh, And as a business person, to let potential climate change go unchecked is a risk that we shouldn't take. So the cost of that is going to be much greater than the cost of the investment to fix this issue. So I think most countries, uh, most companies, most people, they have realized that this is not an option. This is something we have got to do. Having said that, it's almost like, you know, where do you start? How do you eat this elephant spoon by spoon? But if uh, leading companies and uh, governments around the world 
work hand in hand and we create the right incentive structures uh, so that moving away from fossil as a base energy will be more costly and the cleaner alternative we will be the better choice. It's those things that we have to do in terms of economic steering going hand in hand with the innovation. I think the innovation ha is happening anyway, but we need uh, another layer of uh, economic steering as well, policymaking, and then work with the market through uh, some sort of CO2 pricing so that we pay for the side effect of burning fossil fuels. And if we do that in a careful way, we can kind of tip the scale in this next decade or two. And it really needs to happen. Most of the heavy lifting needs to happen in this decade and in the next decade if we want to have a fighting chance to get to a zero position in 2050 or perhaps uh, sometime beyond that, but not too, too far beyond that. Thank you, Ola. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're overdue putting a price on the real cost of the stuff. So thank you so much. Wow, that's awesome. The AMG brand is getting electrified as well. What's um, the timeline? We unveiled what we call the Vision AMG, so the electric future of this performance brand. And uh, the key is uh, AMG will be just as thrilling, just as exciting in the electric era uh, like it has been in the combustion era. And we both know that a performance car is not one-dimensional. One it's not just about the roar of the V8 and the sound. It's so many things, the driving dynamics and, and all those things. But I think in terms of sound, we have to, we have to invent something new. I remember when we had dinner uh, once and you talked about, you know, we need to make the car come alive. So mm -hmm. we will also rest uh, upon your expertise uh, coming from a mixture between tech and music to find that new sound soul of an electric car. There we're not done yet, but I can promise you in terms of acceleration or driving dynamics, this new all-electric generation AMGs is going to be unbelievable. I've been working with Mercedes for two years now. And uh, one of the things that Ola mentioned was, how, how do you reimagine audio, the audio experience in an AMG vehicle. And when I'm talking about audio, we're not talking about music. One part of an AMG vehicle is what it sounds like and the vibration of that, that engine, the rumble, the sound, the vibration. But when it's electrified, you don't have that. So you have to reimagine the, the, the sound and the experience because it's different materials. But how do you do that? So I got my computer scientist guys here and uh, my audio engineers here. And we're, go we're having a go at just rethinking, reimagining what that is. I want to hear it. It's so exciting. That sounds it's brilliant. So that sounds brilliant. Ola, Mercedes has been prolific in Formula One. And in the next few years, we're expecting to see more carbon regulations in F1 racing. How are you preparing for that shift? Uh, the brand Mercedes was actually born on the racetrack. Uh, and I think uh, many people know the story, the Austrian industrialist that uh, ordered a race car from Gottlieb Daimler and Wilhelm Maybach, his, his chief engineer, to go racing in Nice. He only had one uh, condition the car needs to be named after his daughter Mercedes. He won the race, the rest is history. That's why we are in racing. 
Formula One is changing too, and Formula One is 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 growing fast, especially in the U.S. I think uh, Drive to Survive uh, has played a role in that, but also the new races. Uh, next year, we're going to have a race in Vegas, which is going to be amazing. But Formula One also needs to develop into the future, so we need to decarb- uh, decarbonize uh, Formula One. I've uh, spoken several times to Greg Maffei, uh, who, who runs Liberty, which are the commercial rights holder of Formula One, that we have to have a clear path uh, towards CO2 neutrality, uh, net zero for Formula One. And we're taking steps. Uh, one is going to be the new powertrain regulation that will come in 2026, where the part of the electric drivetrain will grow significantly. And what's left of the high-tech combustion will be running CO2-free fuels. So it will be like a lab for synthetic fuels and uh, fuels that take the, uh, the carbon from a circular point of view out of the equation. And that's what Formula One has always been, like the fastest lab in the world, uh, trying out new technologies. But we will also optimize logistics. We will optimize how we host guests at races. Everything is, is thought through. And the Mercedes uh, AMG Formula One team has committed to a full uh, decarbonization, CO2 neutrality, uh, latest by the end of this decade. Oh, fantastic. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I love your push on F1 there. Um, when, when we think about the future of cars, we think electric and autonomous. And I don't know if everyone knows, but Mercedes' drive pilot is the world's first fully certified level three autonomous driving system and now available in Germany. Tell us a little bit about it, please. Well, that's the other uh, technical revolution that's going on in the auto industry. It's, auto industry. it's not just one. It's not just about the drivetrain. It's also about the intelligent vehicle, what's happening here. We can now package in vehicles uh, a phenomenal amount of processing power, much, much more processing power than we had only five or 10 years ago. If you marry that with a sophisticated set of sensors, new generation sensing technology, and software based on artificial intelligence, suddenly uh, the car has a brain. And it can start replacing things that the human usually does, and in an even more precise way. So autonomous drive, uh, we're in this twilight zone now where the first few baby steps into autonomous drive is happening. You mentioned level three. And for those of you who don't know these different levels, up until level two, the driver is in control and is responsible. It's also uh, uh, legally liable for what's happening. But once you take the step over to level three, It's actually the computer that takes over in some situations. So you have to rely fully on on, uh, the car. Uh, And also as a company, you take over liability. And uh, especially for our American listeners, you know, you don't do that lightly. So now uh, with this level three certification of the S-Class and the EQS, uh, to start with in Germany, Germany was the first country with a fully comprehensive law around this. Uh, We have some situations on the highway where you can literally push a button, the car takes over, and you're a passenger, and you get back from the car the most precious gift of all, which is time. And you can then decide what you're going to use this time for. Maybe you just want to sit back and relax. Maybe you want to talk to to the passenger next to you or check your emails or or whatever you want to do. So this is like planting a flag on the moon. But now what's next is how do we build a moon base? How do we create more autonomous drive situations? Mm. Autonomous cars have algorithms controlling 
uh, acceleration, braking, and steering. What have you learned from the data you're gathered? And what does the data reveal about what it will take to make a safe, fully autonomous car? What we have learned is that it's relatively easy, quote unquote, easy to get to the 99%. But it's the last percent that requires the 99% of your, of your work. And we don't think the public at large would accept uh, autonomously driven vehicles, computer-driven vehicles, to cause uh, a lot of accidents. So it's almost like we have to hold an autonomous car almost to a higher standard than we expect from humans, which can be flawed and make mistakes. Uh, and, and, and that's where the work is to, in a gradual way, introduce this technology so that it's safe, uh, which is one of the pillars, one of, of, of the core principles of the Mercedes brand. And also that uh, people in general get used to this. And as technology gets better, we learn more, uh, we process this data, uh, the learning algorithms become smarter, then we can unleash the car in more situations and drive more autonomous. And it's going to make traffic so much safer because that computer in the end will make less mistakes than humans and will then reduce the number of accidents in traffic, which is one of the biggest benefits of this dawn of autonomous drive that we are seeing now coming. Yeah, but how do you um, balance the race to do it first with the need to do it safely? It's almost like you have to hold, your, hold yourself back a little bit. Uh, uh, as an engineering company, as a tech company, you're so excited. You now invented an intelligent machine and you just want to let it go. But you also carry responsibility. So I think in the beginning here, for the first few years, perhaps we need to let the machine do a little bit less than it actually can do so that we learn. And once we go from baby steps to bigger steps, uh, then we will let the car do more. So here it's more of a judgment call of how you want to go to market. Maybe not what's technically possible at the time. More is possible. But you hold yourself back a little bit to keep a little bit of a buffer. And then as technology evolves, you will unleash uh, the whole power of it. You guys are a full-fledged technology company. Like what, what people thought Mercedes was in the past is not Mercedes today and tomorrow. You guys are a full-fledged technology company. And the investments that you guys are making, the engineering advancements and the innovation that you guys are doing, the future of automobiles and mobility and productivity is exciting. Thanks, Will. Sometimes I say internally a little bit as a joker, startup company, the original startup company of the auto industry, we just happen to be 136 years old. But if we keep the same spirit of our founding fathers, Gottlieb Daimler and, and Carl Benz, that sat there and uh, thought about transportation and uh, thought beyond the horse. Uh, they said, how do we get the horse out of the equation? If we keep that spirit, you know, breaking boundaries and always thinking forward, uh, then we will remain a, a startup company and keep that startup mentality that a tech company needs. We're not just a tech company. We are a luxury and tech company. So the Mercedes brand promise will be the blend, the symbiosis of luxury and tech. So the perfection, the design, the aesthetics, that it just feels right, the ride, the, sub 
line ride and also the noise level in the car. All of those things matters. Uh, they matter as well, uh, uh, at least as far as Mercedes is concerned. I really love where you went there, Will, because blending tech and luxury is really hard. And it's even really hard just for a website, let alone <laughs> vehicle. So, uh, I mean, re really, I mean, in in incredible, incredible step forward by Mercedes. So, uh, Ola, I want to come back to autonomy. Uh, you talked about level three before. What does a jump to level four autonomous look like? And what do you think is a realistic time frame? In fact, we have taken uh, a small jump into level four already. We have worked uh, together with Bosch, which is also here in Stuttgart, to develop a valet parking technology. So, for instance, at the airport here in Stuttgart, we're installing this now as we speak. You can drop your car off at the drop-off area and just go in and check in, not the tedious uh, procedure of looking for an empty spot and you know you go so many floors and all that we all we all know the experience so here you drop your car on an empty spot and that car like with a magic hand it guides itself without a driver in the car to a free parking spot in this garage that's the definition of level four that the car can actually completely take over and even if nobody is 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 in it so that's the next step after level three. And uh, many players are working on this. And I think that the uh, first applications, like the one I just mentioned, we will see in this decade, and this will grow as well. That will be the true game changer. Once we have perfected that technology everywhere, will take a little while and is, is also expensive, clearly. But once that technology is out there, it's almost like you could have your own driver so you have your own personal driver, computer driver. Think about that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, that's incredibly cool. Uh, where do you see the car industry in 2050? I think it was Bill Gates that said, uh, you tend to overestimate what's going to happen in the next two years, but you tend to underestimate what's going to happen in the next 10 years. So if we start guessing what's going to happen in 30 years, I guess... The sky is the limit. I believe that we are still going to want to move. So people will want to move from A to B. And uh, whatever way that will be in 2050, if you want to move from A to B in style, then it's going to be a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> what a brilliant place to end it. Um, Ola, thank you so much for being with us here on Changemakers. Is that exactly the kind of thing we want to talk about? Change for making the world better. So appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey, do you remember those documentaries and summits from early 2000s that Al Gore used to always say, like, we have to hit these emissions by this date? Well, that date is right around the corner. Yeah. And a lot of the things that people like Al Gore and leaders of industry we're warning us about, we've missed those dates. 2020 came and went, 2030 is right around the corner, and it seems like we're far from it. So do you think we'll meet a global goal of emissions by 2040 like that? Gosh, I mean, Will, I do remember those summits. Actually, I was part of something called the Global Energy Board that was chaired by Lord John Brown, the previous CEO of BP in the early 2000s. And I remember being part of a, like a survey we did of 
like in 2005, saying how many electric vehicles do we think would be on the road by 2020? And honestly, we're at the, we're at the lower end of what those estimates were back then. So I think the world has enormous amount to do, exactly the way Erla said it, between now and 2040, like an enormous amount. This, this decade is the crunch. If we don't like change drastically in pretty much every aspect of the energy system, uh, we have a, ma- a major problem. Do I think we will do it? Ultimately, I, I am a believer in human ingenuity. I am a believer in the potential of technology and innovation. And I also think that as human beings, we, you know, this English phrase of needs must, because we need to do it, we ultimately will do it. But we're cutting it pretty fine, I have to say. Yeah, I think, I think they'll be able to do that, right? If they're, by 2030, they're only going to make electric vehicles. That's, what they're, that's where they're pushing. That's a bold, that's a bold like, you know, thing to say. When you're making, one, lots of money selling awesome vehicles. Two, you realize that you have to make that change. Three, you make a bold commitment to do it by eight years from now. Um, but globally, all the other car companies have to come on board. And uh, I, I think we will be able to do that because the demand's there. Yeah. Right? Here we are, 2022. Gas prices are like insane. Um, global warming People are all, are, are all agreeing that it's an issue. Yeah. I think the world has got it. Actually, I think every single car manufacturer around the world has totally got it. They're all, all in on electric and they're going there. So now it's, it's a question of practically, how can we just go as fast as possible for the vehicles, for the charging infrastructure, which again, the market signal is there and you know where people have a chance to make money, you know, capitalism generally works. So that should go. But the core issue is this energy transition. How do we get our fossil fuels in primary energy and onto other sources of energy? And that's all about the financial incentive and putting a price on things like carbon because it actually does cost us. And, the, and, and that's, that's difficult because policymakers have to figure out how to get that done in a way that doesn't disrupt their own populace who in the meantime, in the short term, are suffering things like inflation. So that's stuff that mm-hmm. we have to deal with. So Will, as ever, it's a pleasure. It's a joy being with you. Thanks so much. Great to see you again. Thank you so much. 